1: Well, good morning. It is uh, Sweatpants Sunday, something that started off a couple years ago as a joke. We were like, all right, nobody's going to come to church on this day. What can we do? And so we came up with Sweatpants Sunday, and we were like, let's, let's put it out there on Facebook. This will be fun. And then some people actually started wearing sweatpants. And uh, I remember there was a couple years there where uh, they were like, hey, why don't you have sweatpants on? And I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> and then like the next year, they were like, why aren't you wearing sweatpants, Mark? And I was like, okay, I'll wear sweatpants. Chill out, guys. So here I am in my Sunday best, my finest sweatpants. Uh, good, to, good to be here today, and it really was easy to pick out an outfit when you're just trying to be like a 5 out of 10, right? So... Uh I hope that today you're like, Mark is a really good 5 out of 10. That's what I, I hope you'll say. So uh, anyway, we've been in this series uh, talking through the, the life of Peter, talking through a day uh, in his life and exactly what some of these uh, snapshots look like. Uh, we're looking at instances uh, in Peter's life where he had to decide, uh, am I, am I going to wake up to who Jesus is and how am I going to choose to fuel my day and fuel my life and my pursuit of him? And we're going to continue uh, to talk through that. And so I want us just to, to jump right into a passage uh, just so we can, can start unpacking this truth. So maybe you've got a Bible there that you brought with you. You can open that up. Maybe your Bible's on your phone. Feel free to get that out. No one will judge you. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't have a Bible. There's one under your chair there next to you. If you, if you start looking under your row, we've got a, a Bible there that you can look up. We're going to be in John chapter 6, page 814, John 6, verse 1 page 814. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible or a copy that's easy to read, we would love for you to take that Bible uh, and have that today to, uh, to take home and to read. But we want to be in John chapter 6, verse 1. Honestly, a passage that we looked at not too long ago, but something that we think is still applicable uh, to where we're trying to go in this series. And so we want to uh, re-examine this passage. This is what verse 1 says in John chapter 6, page 814. It says this, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. We're gonna jump down to verse 25, as the people continue to pursue Jesus and follow him because this miracle he had done, verse 25 says this. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will, And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement, because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever." He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 60 says this. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven again? The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe him, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus said to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. I know that's a large passage to read, but I love the interaction. I love what we can see there as the disciples are are processing what has happened. They give a front row seat to see who Jesus is and the miracles he performs. And they also get a front row seat as he teaches. And he, he tells this crowd, listen, you can't just be hanging out and wanting to be around me because I'm doing good things for you. He's saying there's more to knowing me. There's more to a relationship with me. And so he talks about eating this flesh and drinking this blood. And I'm sure just like some of us are thinking that's sounds a little weird sounds a little gross they they maybe were missing the point of what he said but others I think understood exactly what he was saying and and they probably thought, no, that's not for me. So Jesus feeds these 5,000 people with literal bread. He's taking care of this huge crowd of people and the next day this crowd comes to find him and they want to be fed again. They want to be cared for again. They want another sign. They want something that can make them feel good. And so Jesus launches into this teaching, I'm the bread of life. And he doesn't mean that he's an actual loaf of bread. Jesus is saying, I am the one who can sustain you. I am the one who will sustain you like food and like bread does. And he's saying that as the spiritual bread, he can give us real life. He's not just doing these miracles for fun or to entertain people or to make them feel warm and fuzzy and spiritual. He can give them real life. And so Jesus says that people must eat his flesh and drink his blood and believe that what he has to offer, what can be found in him and in life with him and a relationship with him is better than anything that they've experienced in the past, and so the result of this teaching is some of the people that have been with him, and not just fringe people, not just outside people, but people who this passage calls disciples, people who have been following him, people who have been walking after him, people who would who would have been associated with Jesus, those disciples, not the 12, but those other, turn their backs and, and walk away. I mean, they're quoted as saying, this is a hard teaching, how can anyone accept it? How could anyone accept that you have to be sustained by Jesus? You have to depend on Jesus. You have to look to Jesus and not be distracted by these other things that you might want. And yet this is Peter's shining moment. Now, I know some of us know Peter. We know the life of Peter. We're like, Peter doesn't have any shining moments. He's, a, he's a, a guy that's always putting his foot in his mouth. But this is a moment where Peter stands up. And when Jesus says, are, are you going to leave me too? Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter doesn't say, Lord, I fully understand what's happening, and I fully understand the weight of what I'm saying, and I'm going to follow you until we all die. He doesn't understand what could be coming in the future. He doesn't even really seem super pumped about it. It's just like, well, I've given up my life, and I've already followed you. Where could I go at this point, you know? But, but he's still speaking truth. He's acknowledging that Jesus is his best hope, his only option, and that no one could provide the life that he would be looking for, what he needs to fuel his life. When I was in college, I was a ministry major. had a a biblical studies major and then also a ministry major, so I kind of got the academic side, the study side, Greek and all that fun stuff, and then we would go, and in my ministry major, we would kind of tour ministry locations and learn more philosophy and talk to people who are in ministry and best systems and practices, and so my freshman year, about four weeks into school, they told us that we were going to go and visit one of the largest churches in America, and we were going to take an all-day trip there, and it was going to be like 15 hours, and we were going to get to see their student ministry and their Sunday mornings and talk to their staff member and all All this exciting stuff. And the first thing that I thought was, I can't afford that, right? Because when we get to college, we realize that money doesn't grow on trees. And sometimes we have to pay for things ourselves. And we were going to eat out three meals that day. And so I thought, I can't, I don't have money to do that. I didn't want to hit my parents up for too much money. And so I thought, I got a plan. And, and so we had, we had meal scans at my school. And some of you might be people that woke up for breakfast in college. You are a better person than I was. I did not do that. And so I had some extra scans every day. And so I started like saving up some, some things at this like snack shop we had where you could go between classes. And I started saving up the only breakfast food uh, that they had, which was uh, the world of uh, the NutriGrain bar, right? So I started, I started swiping and sealing those things. And now the NutriGrain bar is, is called a breakfast food, but it's not actually really a, a breakfast food. They have the word Nutra in there, which makes you think it's nutritious, but it's not. It's just Nutra, right? And uh, it's kind of like a sugary fruit paste wrapped in like a crescent roll or something. I don't know what they are, but they, they put the word grain in there. That's a lie too. They're just kind of marketing the thing, right? It's basically like a Kellogg's candy bar. But anyway, I, I started saving those up for the, the couple of weeks before for this trip. And I got to a point, I had them all in this paper bag. And so we go on this trip and, and everyone's like, hey, I'm going to go into McDonald's. We parked the bus and I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm not too hungry. I packed something for myself. I'm just going to stay here on the bus. And, all my friends slip away, and I start pulling these bad boys out, and I'm, I'm like tearing into those things like Willy Wonka's hidden a golden ticket in there somewhere, right? And I'm just like devouring these, these nutri bars, and, and uh, you're probably wondering, how many nutri bars are we talking about, Mark? Well, let me tell you, I ate 15 nutri bars that day because um, before you judge me, I have a pretty big appetite. And this was 19-year-old Mark. So he had a really big appetite. He had not learned self-control yet. And so I was just trying to make sure that I could fuel my day. Well, here's what I learned that day eating 15 nutri bars. We got to that church in Chicago and I'm like bouncing in the back of the bus and, and I'm sitting through the service and, and they're like, hey, good news. We're going to get a tour of all 100,000 square feet of this mega church. And I was like, Yes, more walking, right? And so I'm like walking around on this this church and and I start to feel a little a little not not so great, right? And I I make it back to the bus and they're like, "Hey, we're going to go to Wendy's for lunch." And I was like, "No, we're not because I'm on the verge of throwing up." And I learned that day that that you can't just fuel yourself with with anything. You can't just put something in your body and say like, "All right, here we go. Let's do this." And this topic of, of of fueling our day and fueling ourselves is not just bound to me being stupid in college and eating nutrient bars. Each one of us every day decides what we're gonna fuel our life with. We decide what's gonna fuel me emotionally, what's gonna fuel me physically, what's gonna fuel me spiritually. And there's a lot of things that we look to fuel our lives. Some of us try to fuel our lives with people. Some of us try to fuel our lives with relationships, some of us try to fuel our lives with accomplishments. Some of us try to fuel our lives with possessions. Here's what I can say about all of those things, from people to relationships to accomplishments to achievements, possessions. All of those things in some way are going to let you down because they're not enough to fuel you. They're not enough to sustain you. They're not enough to carry you. And they're not enough to help you get through life and get through your day. This week I was uh, I was gone. I was at a, a conference for a few days in a pastors' gathering, and it's it's interesting when you're gone. You, uh, you start thinking about the people you miss and the people that are back home, the people you love. I missed you guys. I just want you to know that, right? But I, I started thinking like, man, I miss my wife. I miss my kids. And I'm just like, you know, walking around this conference, like when I get home, I'm going to be the best husband ever. And I'm going to be the best dad ever. And the reality is I, I got home. And as soon as I walked in the door, I tripped over my kids' shoes that I think they had strategically piled in front of the door or something. And I was like, stupid kids, right? You know. And so I, it's amazing. Even, even when you think Think like, oh, I'm gonna have kids someday, and kids are gonna be great, and they're gonna to run to the door and hug me and say, "Dad, you're the best," and my wife's gonna come over in an apron and give me a kiss on the cheek, and then none of those things happened when I got home, and I I found myself in this same cycle of like. Okay, I love these people, but sometimes I I don't like these people. And the only reason I tell you that is not so you can judge my marriage or think that I'm sexist with that apron story. That was just an illusion, all right? What I'm what I'm really saying is is just this, that sometimes we think our lives are going to be perfect and the things that we pursue are going to complete us and they're going to fuel us. There's no relationship on this earth that you can have with any person that you're crushing on right now that's going to fuel your life. And there's no amount of perfect, cute kids that you can have that are going to fuel your life. And there's no promotion you can get at work. There's no motorcycle or boat or anything that you can buy and get that's going to fuel you in your life. There's nothing on this earth that's going to fuel your life. And yet Jesus in this passage is saying, I can sustain you. I can fuel you. I can give you hope and purpose so the question for us is, what are we going to choose to fuel our lives? We're looking at these snapshots in the life of Peter. Peter may have not completely understood everything he was saying there, but he was saying, Jesus, you're the only thing that can satisfy. You're the only thing that can provide hope. You're the only fuel that we can choose that will matter, that will amount to anything. I want to take us to another passage in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, it's on page 747. It's another interaction with Peter and one that's pretty well known. It says this on page 747, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This interaction is the one where Peter takes on the, the name Peter, meaning rock. This is the interaction where he has a chance to say to Jesus exactly who he is, exactly who Jesus is. Jesus wants to know who do people say that I am? Who do you think I am? What, what's really in your heart? What's really in your mind? And Peter's able to simply say, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And what he was wrapping in there pretty succinctly was was basically the concept of the gospel, that we were created in the image of God to be in relationship with God. We were created to know God, and yet in some way we all choose our own path. We think we know better than God, and, and sin enters our life. And sin separates us from God because God is holy and God is perfect and we are not. And so we're on this path toward eternal separation from God, eternal separation from God in in hell. And yet scripture tells us that God loved us so much that he didn't want us to be separated from him. And he wanted to restore the relationship that was desired and intended. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Jesus came to this earth, not because he deserved to die on a cross. He didn't come to this earth because he deserved to be punished, but he he came to this earth because he was the only one who could pay the price for our sin. Jesus came to this world and he gave his life on the cross. And in doing so, we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in him. We can surrender our life to him and see that relationship restored where we're, we're no longer separated from God, but where we can be in relationship with God and know God through faith in Jesus. In fact, scripture says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And when we know that, when we trust that, when we understand that and we believe that, we put our faith in him and what he's done, we can know him and we can know God. So what does it mean to, to know God, to have a relationship with God, to have a relationship with Jesus? Well, it just means this, that you want to, to regularly spend time with Him. You want to know Him just like any other relationship in your life. If you have a relationship with someone, you spend time getting to know them and talking to them and they have an influence in your life. You become like the people who you are closest to. And so when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to find that, that you want to, to be with Jesus. You want to read his word. You want to read scripture. You want to spend time in prayer. And as you do those things, you're going to find that he begins to change your character, that he begins to change the way that you think and the way that you act. And you're going to become like Jesus. And what does a life surrender to Jesus ultimately look like? It looks like this, that you would say, what would Jesus do if he were me in this situation? What would Jesus do if he were an HR professional? What would Jesus do if he were a third grade teacher? What would Jesus do if he sold insurance? What would Jesus do if he were a general contractor? What would Jesus do in this world, in this life, if he were me? If you're surrendered to him, that will be the decision of your life. And so Peter is verbalizing very quickly in that sentence, Jesus, I know who you are. And I know what you came to do. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior, the one who will give his life for us. And I'm trusting in you. And others are going to be able to trust in you and follow you and live their lives for you. Jesus asks him, who am I? He, He answers that very quickly. And then Jesus says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Maybe you're wondering why this series was named Rockumentary. It has nothing to do with rock and roll, all right? It's just that, that Peter, in this moment, his name has changed, and he becomes the, the man that, that means rock. And Jesus says, because you know who I am, because you've surrendered your life to me, you're not perfect, but you're perfect when you're, when you're joined with me. You're one with me. And I can build my church on that. Some people wonder, was was Jesus talking to Peter the person? Was he talking to Peter as an example of somewhere that surrendered to the gospel? And Jesus just says that, I'm going to build my church on the gospel. I'm going to build my church on this knowledge that I'm seeing evidenced in your life. I know some of us are probably thinking, well, yeah, that's great for Peter. He's in the Bible. He's perfect. But God could never build anything on me. And the reality is you could find plenty of evidence that Peter wasn't always perfect. And yet he was a life surrendered to Jesus. He was a life lived following Jesus. And Jesus said, "I I can build on that. So you would never build on a foundation of sand or, or, or other things, but when you think of a foundation and what, what you can build on, you think of a rock, you think of concrete. Our big idea for the day is, is this. If you want to be a rock, Jesus must be your fuel. When you're choosing what's going to sustain you, what's going to fuel your day, what's going to get you by, what's going to be enough, what's going to cause your decisions, whether they're emotional or physical or spiritual, what's going to to be your compass, Jesus has to be the fuel of your day. And when you understand that he's able to be your fuel, when you understand that he will be your fuel, that's a foundation and that's a life that God can build his church on. There's a couple of us that uh, did a, a Daniel fast this last month. Daniel fast is simply just giving up some, some foods and, and certain things so that you can focus on some things that God's asking you to do and, and you can spend time in prayer. And when you do a fast, whether that's a juice fast or maybe intermittent fasting, when you, when you do one of those things, you quickly realize the things that you, you medicate with, right? Right. You quickly realize when you can't have three bowls of golden grams at two in the morning that you're really used to having three bowls of golden grams at two in the morning. That's not about anyone here, so don't look at me weird, all right? I'm just speaking in general as someone who really likes golden grams, okay? So some of us medicate with different things. Some of us medicate with, with Diet Coke all day. Some of us medicate with, with coffee. And when you give up certain things, you realize what you've been looking to to sustain you. You realize the things that you've been saying, oh, this is, this is going to get me through in this situation, and when you surrender that thing, when you give that up, you realize that you can't depend on it anymore. What's, what's great about a fast is that it reminds you that the only thing that can sustain you, the only thing that you can depend on, the only thing that can give you hope, and the only thing that can, can make you into a rock and into a foundation that God can build on is a relationship with Jesus. So, our question today is what fuels you? Is it, is it people? Is it relationships? Is it accomplishments? Because I promise you all of those things will eventually let you down. It doesn't mean that the people in your life are, are bad people or they have it out for you, but they're flawed and this world is imperfect. Jesus came to give us hope and to give us the answer. And when we put our faith and our trust in him, we can fuel our life in a way that we never thought imaginable. So what fuels you? Maybe today is the day that you surrender your life to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my fuel. I want you to be the one that my life is surrendered to. I want you to be hope. I don't want to medicate with these other things. I don't want to be distracted by these other things. I want to be surrendered to you. Maybe, maybe you would say that you've surrendered your life to Jesus, but you feel like you've been distracted recently. You feel like you haven't been led by the gospel. And if, if you were to look at your own life, you'd think like, man, I'm far from a rock. I'm far from a foundation that God would want to build on. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to take care of all your problems or clean anything up. Jesus did that on the cross. You just have to say, Jesus, I, I, wanna, I wanna be a rock in you. I wanna be a rock because you're fueling me, because my life is surrendered to you, because I'm looking to you. What fuels you today? What fuels your life? And is the bread of life that is Jesus sustaining you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the life of Peter reminding us that we don't have to be perfect, Lord, because your son was perfect. We don't have to be enough because your son was enough. God, help us to know when we're done enough that you are and that the only foundation that you want from our lives, the only thing that you want to build on is a life surrendered to you and a life given to the gospel. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never trusted you, who's never surrendered their life to you. And Lord, they've been self-medicating with other things and pursuing other things. Lord, I pray that this will be the day that they will give their life to you. And God, if there's people in this room and, and in our, our midst in this church who have been distracted, who've been pursuing other things and taking their eyes off of the bread that sustains them, Lord, help us to help us to discipline ourselves and, and be focused in the places that we need to be, Lord. A fast or a change of lifestyle takes some planning. So help us to remember that maybe we'll have to feed ourselves in the morning and choose the right breakfast that will fuel our day or we'll find ourselves weak and around bad food. Lord, help us to consistently eat the bread of life and let your flesh and your blood that you gave on the cross be enough. Lord, help us to choose the right fuel Help us to trust you. It's in the name of your son, I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.